Hello everyone, this is Alicia from Call for Convert Reform, and today I'm talking about a very um, heavy topic, one that is pretty controversial, but the more I look into religious life, the more I look into what has happened to religious life, the more I am becoming convinced that what I'm about to say is true, um, and that there's evidence for it, and you know, just like any type of problem in the church, nothing is going to change and nothing is going to get better until we're able to look it in the eye and and realize that there's a problem and we need to fix it. And so uh, what I'm talking about today is cult tactics in the church. I know I've talked about this before, but I've kind of pranced around it. I've I've kind of made comments about it, but I've never actually come out um, to this degree and and talked to it, uh, talked about it as much. Um, and I don't I don't think I don't think religious orders were originally founded to become cults. Um, I don't think that was the original intent. And in fact, if you look at a lot of cults, which I had in the last few years, um, if you look at a lot of cults, a lot of the people that uh, started cults, they didn't really, I don't think m- many of them or if any of them started off with bad intentions. A lot of them um, started off wanting to make a Christian community or some sort of hippie community or something like that. And as people started gathering and around this charismatic person and this person started gaining control, something snapped in them and um, you kind of just see this progression. So I'm sure there are some people that have been involved in cults that that's what they wanted to do. That's what they wanted to start. They wanted to control people Or maybe they were trying to, um, you know, go on the better side of themselves and, and do something good, even if, you know, inside of themselves, they knew there was this evil capacity. I don't know, but, um, I just know from, um, like the Jones, uh, story, I know, you know, he just, for example, he just had a little ministry here in America and it grew into this huge thing. And if you look at his story, um, I don't, I don't think you would say that he started, um, Jim Jones, that he started out as this guy that wanted to start a cult and start this control. He was just a very charismatic leader. Um, so that's just one example. There's others as well, but that's one that I can think of on the top of my head. So, um, so to get into this, um, one of the models that I've heard that makes a lot of sense, um, cause there's, of course, with like a cult is, you know, the, the term cult is very, um, like we get the word culture from cult. Um, in fact, any religion is really a cult. Um, but the idea of a cult and the fact that it's, it's this group of people that are being manipulated and controlled 
that's very specific. And, and, um, I think especially since all the cults that popped up in like the sixties and seventies and eighties, there's been a lot more research done on it. And, um, there's actually a model that I heard of recently. It's called the bite model, B I T E model of cult mind control. And, um, So I have an article here that kind of explains it. Um, This is from the article, A Little Bit Human, um, from August 14th of 2021, written by Joseph Sherwood. So I'll be quoting from some of this. Um, And Sherwood starts this uh, article off by saying, clearly, there must be something about cults that attracts people. Maybe it's a sense of community. Maybe it's... Sorry, I'm going to make this bigger. Um, maybe it's the feeling of being part of something bigger than oneself. Whatever it may be, once you're in, most cults utilize very similar tactics in order to discourage free thinking in order to keep you from leaving. These methods of mind control have never been so clearly outlined as in the best-selling book, Com- Combating Cult Mind Control by Dr. Stephen Hassan, Um, I hope that's how you pronounce his name. It's H-A-S-S-A-N, in which he describes what he calls the bite method of cult mind control. Um, Going on, having a greater understanding of the way that people try to manipulate our thoughts can help us remain aware when someone is actively trying to indoctrinate us and suppress our free thoughts. These methods are not reserved for cults, but have also been used by authoritarian and terrorist regimes such as the Nazis or Boko Haram. So again, you know, these, these are techniques that are used. You see them all the time when you look back in history and look at authoritarian figures. Um, it doesn't have to be like a bona fide cult per se. It can be different organizations, different, um, different groups, um, that have leaders that adopt these, these types of methods. So it says, what is the bite method? The bite method is a way of outlining the different methods of mind control that cults use to gain and retain control over people and their thoughts. The method was first described in Dr. Stephen Hassan's book, combating cult mind control. Hassan wrote the book after leaving the moon cult and being deprogrammed as he calls it. So if you don't know about the moon cult, um, it's still around. Um, I guess it was really big in like the 70s and 80s. Um, They're really popular for their um, mass marriages that they would have. I think they had one um, in Madison Square, I believe, in New York, um, where where they would just have these mass weddings and they would just uh, pair people off um, randomly with each other <laughs> that had never met before. And they're like, Oh, you, t- you two are getting married today. So after Hassan left, he started studying these call tactics. He became a professional in it and, um, um, came up with this model. So the bite method consists, and this is from, again, from the article, the bite method consists of four major methods of control, behavior control for B I is for information control T is for thought control and E is for emotional control. By exerting all four of these types of control, a cult can gain full power over a human being 
and essentially strip them of their free will. There's quite a bit of overlap between these four categories as, for example, our behavior is often dictated in part by our thoughts and emotions. However, by controlling these four areas of someone's life, you can serve their ability to think for themselves or sever their ability to, to think for themselves. So there is a nice little checklist here I found um, on the internet, but it does kind of explain it a little bit more here for each of these categories. So for, for the first one, behavior control, um, the article states behavior control has to do primarily with restricting and controlling the physical movements of a human being. It's essential. It's essentially telling someone go here, don't go there. Cults seek to control those, their members, sorry, who their members live with and associate with, hoping to keep people apart who might share similar dissenting ideas. They also seek to control who you have a relationship with or who you have sex with, probably because they're afraid that a happy relationship might fill the emotional hole that that person was trying to fill by joining a cult. <clears throat> Cults may also exercise control over more cosme cosmetic things like hairstyles or clothing. They may force you to get a tattoo or a brand signifying that you're a member of the cult. They may control what you eat or ask you to fast or prevent you from sleeping, knowing that a hungry and tired person is easier to manipulate than someone who is well-rested and satiated. Um, and then it says the compound of the, uh, sorry, certain cults will also control your behavior through physical means. They might encourage corporate, corporal punishment among parents. They may force individuals to, um, be sexually abused. They may physically beat their members for dissenting. These are all very Pavlovian ways of training people to behave in a certain way. So let's just go through this checklist. Um, so behavior and control, I'm looking at um, this checklist here. So um, first it says instill dependence and obedience, which is definitely um, a heart hallmark of religious life. Modify your behavior with rewards and punishments. Um, again, you see that in religious life in so many ways. If you, um, go along with the program, um, you are usually, you know, like you might get some sort of, um, acknowledgement or something. If you go against the program in a new way, against the grain, you're going to get, um, some sort of punishment. Dictate where and with whom you live. Obviously, that is a big part of being a religious life. Restrict or control your sexuality. Obviously, as a religious, you are giving up um, being in a sexual relationship with someone. Um, so that's just kind of par for what's going on there. But there can be um, kind of like mind games played with sexuality, which we can get into another time. Control your clothing and hairstyle. Obviously, that's a big part of religious life. You have a habit. Regulate what and how much you eat and drink, which is also a big another part of almost all convents. Um, sometimes there's like a buffet style, but um, there's um, 
obviously eyes looking at what you eat, uh, deprive you of seven to nine hours of sleep each night. Um, I've talked about that before in my own story about how I was deprived of sleep. Exploit you financially. Um, that can definitely, there can definitely be a case made for that because you give all of your uh, possessions over to the convent um, very early on and or you're, um, you might be able to give it to someone in your family, but most of the time you just give rid of everything. Restrict your leisure time and activities, obviously. Um, this is like almost everything here is checkmarked, but um, obviously you have a horarium and everything is dictated for you, um, what you do and um, when you do it. Require you to seek permission for major decisions, bingo, the whole thing about obedience, and require you to spend major time on group indoctrination and rituals, including self-indoctrination on the internet. Um, or they don't allow the internet, um, or you're very, very restricted on the internet. So everything there, at least for behavior and control, is pretty much checked off, at least um in my experience in religious life and um, for many, many, many others. So let's go into the next portion, which is information control. Um, let's see here. <clears throat> Again, from this article. So information control is um, successfully brainwashing people, people's necessity. What? successfully brainwashing people necessitates that they don't have access to information that is contrary to the teachings of the cult. In a general sense, that means deliberately withholding information from the cult members, distorting the information so that it's more in keeping with the ethos of the cult and systematically lying to cult members. Um, in its practical application, information control is carried out by restricting members' access to television, newspapers, or other media outlets, cutting off their contact with people outside of the cult, and distributing information source, sources, sorry, I can't talk today, um, approved by the cult. Cults also encourage their members to spy on each other, creating a sort of buddy system to ensure that no one is consuming outside information. Flyer advertising the teaching. Oh, sorry. That's, it's a, <laughs> I, I took away the pictures and I still have, um, little captions. Um, for instance, if someone in the cult catches someone else reading a newspaper that is contrary to the beliefs of the cult, that person will probably tattle and get the other member in trouble. Oh my goodness. I've talked about that so much, um, on here. <laughs> <laughs> and how much that happens in the convent. In this way, cults tend to regulate the self-regulate the information that is taken in, leaving only enough room for the information that is approved by the cult's leaders. So let's go down to the checklist and let's see. So deliberately withhold and distort information. Um, that's definitely that was definitely um, in my um, situation. Forbid you from communicating with ex-members and critics this is why i think you know people get people who are uh very much for 
uh, religious life and the church and don't really see an issue or don't see an issue to the degree that I do. Um, it, when I talk about letting people talk to their families, they get all up in a roar because, you know, well, that's a tradition of religious life. You are, you know, pulling away from the world and you're pulling away from your family and you're giving up all for Christ. And it's really a cult tactic. And I, I see that so clearly now. And I really, I think it's one thing that could really change and be a huge benefit of. And, you know, honestly, if people are that, if their vocation is that fragile, that a conversation with their family is going to pull them away from religious life, then so be it. Um, let, let that happen. It's, it's, you know, again, people are adults and they should have the full knowledge and ability to make decisions for themselves. Um, so I, I'm really, as the years go on, I become more and more of an advocate. We're living in 2024. There's so much technology. It is not at all hard or expensive to allow people to communicate, um, with their family anymore. And 1500s, yes, it was, but we're not living in the 1500s. We're living in 2023. And, um, I, I just... I really think that's something that needs to, needs to change. Um, restrict access to non-cult sources of information. So obviously, um, you know, we did have a newspaper and we could read the newspaper, but um, honestly, I was so busy. I really didn't get to read the newspaper that often. And a lot of the information I got was via my superiors, um, or I'd hear it secondhand at, at some point. Um, we did have the news and stuff. Some religious orders are a lot stricter and they don't allow newspapers, magazines and stuff from the outside. Compartmentalize information into insider versus outsider doctrine. Um, I think that's very true. Um, because, you know, when I would say things like, well, my dad, <laughs> my dad thinks I'm in a cult. Like he, my dad did. My dad's not Catholic. He's agnostic. And he thought all of this was very cultish. And it was one of the things that actually made me think about this, this kind of connection, um, in the first place after I got out of the convent, um, it was, you know, it was like, well, don't, you know, listen to your dad, you know, and I, obviously I couldn't talk to my, my family very often. Generates and use propaganda extensively. Use information gained in confession sessions against you. Um, I think honestly, that's one of the reasons they used to have, uh, what they used to call it. Basically, you'd say you're like uh, some sort of fault uh, in front of the community. And I can't remember Vatican II actually stated that it's not allowed anymore. Specifically, I, I remember reading about it in a Vatican II document. Um, yeah, and <laughs> that was probably used as a cult tactic in the old days, but, 
Um, I'm sure it's being used um, because some people will go to, I mean, I was even um, encouraged to say things to my superior, like in letters and stuff, um, almost like a mini confession. Gaslight to make you doubt your own memory. That's definitely, definitely happened. If you've listened to my blog um, or listened to my podcast, you will definitely hear me tell stories of that. Require you to report your thoughts, feelings, and activities to, to superiors. <laughs> um, bingo. Um, <laughs> uh, encourage you to spy and report on others' misconduct, often using a buddy system. I've, I've mentioned before about tattletelling on here and how tattletelling was so bad in the convent. Um, it was just absolutely... Um, along with that, it says use Big Brother surveillance methods. So there was always just someone watching and you knew, and I knew like there was someone watching, um, in the convent, whatever I did. Um, and that a lot of the sisters would be, uh, if they saw me doing something that they thought was questionable or suspicious, they would tattletale over it. All right. We're on to T for thought control. While behavior control and information control are methods of control imposed by the cult itself, thought control is where members start to internalize the teachings of the cult and impose them them on themselves. A huge part of getting people to think in the way you want is to stop them from thinking in contrary ways. In fact, cults often encourage, though not by name, thought-stopping techniques, meaning techniques that shut down the process of questioning. Activities like chanting, speaking in tongues, singing, humming, dancing, and praying become substitutes for questioning one's reality, encouraging people to never allow negative thoughts into their minds. In these ways, and through the entire atmosphere of the cult, they seek to instill a black and white way of thinking into their members. Anything that is in agreement with the cult is good, and anything contrary to the cult is bad and should be avoided or even destroyed. So let's go to our checklist. Uh, thought control. Teach you to internalize group doctrine as truth. Um, and then it quotes it. says sacred silence. Um, yeah. <laughs> and still black versus white. You versus them. And good versus evil thinking. Which is very predominant in, in convents. Change your identity, possibly even your name. Bingo. Ding, ding, ding. Uh, use loaded language and cliches to stop critical, complex thoughts. I mean, I was always told um, when I was doubting or something, um, there's always like little cl cliches, like, and I was always told to th think positively um, that I was being too negative. Induce hypnotic or trance states to indoctrinate. Not really. Um, I wouldn't say that, at least in my experience, um, and most, most convents, I mean, maybe some liberal ones would be into like the trancey stuff, but, um, usually that's not a orthodox Catholic teaching, um, teach thought stopping techniques to prevent critical thoughts and reality testing. Um, Yeah. <laughs> Very true. Um, thought stopping techniques. Um, yeah, it was just, I basically, I was told I wasn't praying enough. 
Um, I was thinking too much about myself. Um, I was told that a lot. Allow only positive thoughts again. Use excessive meditation, singing, prayer, and chanting to block thoughts. We see that a lot in religious life. Um, obviously, your day is just um, booked with, with um, you know, prayer. And it, it gets to the point that it's not even meaningful anymore. It's just part of your schedule. And reject, reject rational analysis, critical thinking, and constructive criticism. Um, I was just looking back on, uh, I was doing some little things yesterday on the blog, updating some things, and I was looking back on the Vengeful Nuns blog, uh, blog post I put um, this a few years ago, and it was about, um, after I left the convent, I wrote a note, it wasn't mean or malicious, it was just stating my feelings about how I felt the sisters did not support me. And an incident that happened at the school and this, the school I was working for, the sisters were not in control of it, but the, the school basically, um, painted me as being a terrible teacher and, um, and I just didn't feel like the sisters supported me and I, I felt really hurt by it. And when I mentioned that to them, I got really nasty letters back you can go on my blog, you can see them. Um, they're redacted, obviously. Um, I took the personal information out, but, um, they said really nasty things about how I should be on my knees, thanking them for, um, thanking them for all their goodness to me, basically. Um, so any type of criticism, you could not criticize, like I could, uh, I'll go back and, uh, <laughs> I could not criticize, the order. If I said anything about like, I don't know why we do this. This doesn't make sense. Um, I was told like, basically, you know, shut up. So going to emotional control in a similar way to how cults teach that certain thoughts are bad. They also teach their members that they must do away with certain emotions, emotions like restlessness, doubt, homesickness, or anger, can cause cult members to descend and so cults do everything in their power to eliminate those emotions and their members the primary way that cults control people's emotions is through fear if you fear the outside world they would why would you ever think of leaving the cult if you fear that you will never find happiness or salvation if you don't follow the teachings of, of the cult why would you ever doubt uh, another way that cults manipulate people's emotions is by convincing them that all of their problems are their own fault and never the fault of the leader or the group as a whole. By doing so, they instill a sense of self-loathing in their members that causes them to seek the help of the cult to fix their wretched ways. Uh, so let's go through this checklist. This should be interesting. Um, instill irrational fears of questioning or leaving the group. It's, um, and, and parentheses says phobia indoctrination. Um, I have a perfect example of this in my own life when I was doubting, uh, my vocation and I went to my novice mistress. She literally told me that, uh, if she was in my shoes, she would be very concerned with her salvation if she left the convent. 
So there you go. Um, make you feel elitist and special. Um, in parentheses, it says love bombing. We've talked about this before. So usually when you first enter, well, it's funny because some, some religious orders that, cause I, I actually did discern with a lot of religious orders. Some of them like treat you like crap, even when you're discerning with them, they feel like, you know, while you're there, like it's like having a speck on their shoe or something like, you know, they don't care if you're there or not. And then some of these religious orders love bomb you, which is what my order did when I first entered. Um, but definitely when you, when you do enter, I think a lot of these communities have this elitist view. I think that is very true. Um, and I've heard of different communities, especially ones that are more popular, that have like really long habits and stuff. Um, kind of making comments about, well, you know, we're, we're holier than thou type of stuff, uh, promote feelings of guilt, shame, and unworthiness, unworthiness. Basically, you know, you have to, yeah, I, <laughs> uh, definitely felt that I never felt, I never felt good in the convent. I never felt good about myself. Um, I never felt worthy. Like you're always told, like you're called to this, but you're never, like basically good enough like you have to rely on the community to um rely on the community to get better um elicit extreme emotional highs and lows so yeah um i i would say that's true as well at least of my experience um you know cuz there were spiritual moments that were very intense and um but obviously the lows were terrible um label some emotions as evil worldly sinful or wrong i would definitely um again agree with that in my own experience teach emotion stopping techniques to prevent anger or homesickness um yeah, um, threaten and harass your friends and family. I did not encounter that. That would probably, I, I don't want to speak out of turn, but um, I think because uh, religious orders are part of the Catholic Church, they usually want to put on this face of, well, we're, we're holy and we're happy and they, to the larger Catholic community. Um, so I, I don't think that would be one that would really, um, really stick with religious orders. Shun you if you disobey or believe. Um, yeah. Um, I think that's more true of uh, other friends who have been in religious orders and, hearing their experiences than mine, but I've heard of that and teach you that there is no happiness or fulfillment outside of the group. <laughs> Bingo. Yeah. So overall, um, <laughs> um, if I was going to give them a grade, you know, I'm a teacher, if I was going to give them a grade on the bite, uh, model, they would be probably getting an A or a B plus. Um, most of these things check mark, um, 
it, just in my experience, um, my, my experience is one experience. So, um, I did want to give some examples because, because I don't want to just be like, okay, this is my experience. This is what I, you know, this is just, just me saying all this. Um, this is definitely larger. And now that we've gone through this, you're going to start hearing this type of behavior and this type, these type of tactics. Um, and some of the stories I'm about to tell you. So I'm actually reading right now a really good book. It's called Hurting in the Church, A Way Forward for Wounded Catholics by Father Thomas Berg. I actually just put it on the book list on my blog if you're interested. And he has an interesting story because he was in the Legionaries of Christ. If you don't know about their story, they were a religious order. Their uh, superior and founder was a complete psycho basically um he fooled a lot of people and so um he tells his story and this is what this is some excerpts from his book um from what happened to him um and you're going to see a lot of information control here um so there was uh, there was information started to come out and he says here um, information coming out about the superior, the founder, uh, Marcia, Marcia, Marcial was his name. Um, he says, we were not allowed under obedience to read the story itself, which had been published in the Hartford Current. We were forbidden to seek out information from anyone outside of the congregation and discouraged from speaking about the matter, even with our own superiors. And we were certainly not to discuss it among ourselves. Um, I, along with a few others had access at the time to the newly emerging internet, but our access was controlled by gatekeeping mechanism by gatekeeping mechanism. Um, so yeah, stuff is starting to hit the fan. The story starting to come out and they can't even read about it. Um, so he continues, uh, continues on. I struggled with periods of doubt about the congregation. I kept those doubts to myself for years and my subconscious worked hard to bury them. Um, and it says based. So he talks about his own interaction with Marcial, um, who, you know, is obviously the head of his order. Um, and Marcial was just a terrible man. You can look up his story. He was really messed up. Um, so he's saying that based on these experience, I guess, of like being with Marcial, um, the, his interactions with him, he was not abused by Marcial, by the way. Um, some people were sexually abused by him, but he was not based on these experiences, and with my interior life nourished by reading spiritual letters, we believe he had he had written. I thought I knew this man. I loved him as a spiritual father. We would refer him as Nuestro Padre, our father founder. Um, from 1997 onward and to, to the first years of my priesthood and bolstered by my own psychological defense mechanisms I worked hard at sustaining both for myself and others the grand narrative are of our heroic founder 
and the divinely assisted establishment of the congregation, but so did the vast majority of legionaries, including most of the superiors. In so doing, we were unwittingly keeping ourselves immersed in a kind of parallel universe. We were all protagonists in this great providential work of God, our congregation. We were called to build up the legion, Hasser Legion, Legion or Legion, I don't Such was the Kool-Aid we drank and it was readily available. Um, and then it came out that he was addicted to painkiller, like Marcial. Marcial was addicted to painkillers, all this horrible stuff. Um, he had abused children and um, Marcial was in actuality a colossally enigmatic individual, a sociopathic sexual omnivore who presented to a broader public the credible persona of a religious leader and a reformer, friend of popes and darling of much of the Roman Curia, who secretly, secretively used the Catholic religious order he founded to feed his lusts. Um, so there was a report that came out in late 2005 and father Berg is saying from that moment on, every member of the congregation had a fundamental right to know the truth regarding their revered founder. Moreover, the very good of the church demanded immediate transparent communication of these facts. Um, but they didn't come out with that information. It says they resulted, this resulted, um, he found out later, um, that, um, superiors of the order, um, within the legionary leadership kept rank and file members of the congregation and the dark, uh, Marcial held that prudence required silent secrecy and subterfuge in order to avoid further scandal. Um, and I really love what he says here. It says, further part, legionaries and members of Regum, Regnum, Regnum, sorry, Regnum Christi were expected to follow the legion's customary way of not externalizing activity, not criticizing the superiors and directors, not expressing negative emotions to anyone but their spiritual directors. And we just heard that um, and controlling behavior and controlling emotion. He says, um, I realize that for the better part of 23 years, I've been caught up in a lie and a massive deception of unprecedented proportions in the church. So there's just one case of someone living in this cult like environment where information is controlled, behavior is controlled. Um, and then I have some quotes here from my blog. Um, so this first one is from Anonymous. Um, and th this is a quote they left on, my, left on my blog on one of my posts. It says, yep, I couldn't tell anyone either. And for me, they're talking about um, the abuse that they were going through. Yep, couldn't tell anyone either. And for me to be able to speak to the mother superior or anyone or another director, I had to ask permission from my director, who was the verbally and emotionally abusive sister. I was never able to speak with them, and honestly, it probably wouldn't have mattered anyway. I wasn't allowed to have a spiritual director, and my director was angry if I ever wrote a letter or wanted to speak to a priest friend. She told me I could only speak to her because she was my spiritual director and knew me best because we lived 
because she lived with me, and they couldn't know me the way she did. She even accused me when I went to confession about what she knows I talk about what I talk about her that I talk about her there and she would time me how much time I was in confession in comparison with the other sisters. She constantly made negative and derogatory comments about priests. I know it was said on purpose to upset me. It's just disgusting. Um, another post from Linda um, that's on my blog. She responded to a blog post I wrote some time ago about the sister minors of Mary Magdalene. They're actually a um, order that was suppressed by the church. Um, a lot of abuse happened there. Sounds so much like my Italian community here in the U.S. Lots of psychological manipulation and hardship. Back in 1990s, a group of us looked into suing them on behalf of those who suffered severe medical neglect. Attorney said, don't bother, Catholic Church, too powerful. That was before the pre-scandals. Most of us have PTSD after leaving. Um, so, again, this is not a happy topic to talk about. Um, and a lot of people in the church don't want to deal with the fact or the accusation that religious orders are running like cults um but that's that's really the honest truth um a lot of them are um and if (laughs) you know i i don't i don't understand why we can't talk about this as a church i don't understand why um we try to make this okay um i do want to do another blog in fact i was i was about to do a uh, podcast about how um, people in the church um, that are really defenders of religious life, um, they'll, I, I just had to talk with a priest friend about this. And, um, you know, he was one of these people that thinks, well, this is all, all to help you become holy. And this is, I actually did this podcasts first because I thought it was important to do this one first before that one um because I think this is building on that podcast um that I I hope to do um so yeah I I really think that we have a problem in the church that we have religious orders that are acting more like um acting more like cults and you know um, the, the one cult that's out there, that's not Catholic, that I really can compare this to, because I've done some studying of this is, um, so the church, the church of Scientology, if, if you're aware of, of that situation all, the whole thing is really weird. But obviously, if you're in the Church of Scientology, the so-called Church of Scientology, um, there's, you know, like the regular group of people who are in the Church of Scientology. And yeah, they are employed into the scam of, you know, giving money so they can go up these levels. But there's also this um, other part of the church of Scientology called the Sea Org. 
Um, and so the Sea Org is actually like the most dedicated members and you join this order um, and you're giving your whole life to the Church of Scientology and you you sign this ridiculous contract for a billion years because, you know, they have these really weird um, uh, beliefs about, you know, coming back um, or something. I don't know. They're, they're, they're definitely, if you know anything about them, they're not Christian. They're very strange. Um, but you have to work like, 100 hours a week or something like that. It's absolutely insane. So you're basically a slave. You've given your whole life over to the Church of Scientology. And when I, the more I looked into this um, dynamic within the Church of Scientology um, and the Sea Org, the more it sounded to me like religious life. I know that sounds terrible, but you have this you know, this part of this organization, which the, the whole church of Scientology, don't get me wrong, I, I have no respect for them. They're terrible. Um, but the idea that you have this other sect of your, or part of your church or so-called church called the Sea Org, where, you know, the people that live in it are giving everything their whole lives to this organization, every waking moment to this organization, they have no self-autonomy whatsoever. It sounds a lot like religious order life. Um, and that is just really disturbing. Um, so, um, I, I really hope that, you know, talking about this stuff will plant seeds, will bring change, um, I'm not, I'm not thinking things will turn overnight, but you know, just because you join a religious order, shouldn't mean that you aren't yourself anymore, that you, you aren't, you know, your own person, that you're not human anymore, that you're not, um, just a fellow Catholic trying to grow in holiness, um, and it shouldn't mean that you're abused. It shouldn't mean, mean that you're manipulated um, in your spiritual life or in any other part of your life. Um, so I really just hope that if anyone's listening out there, that especially anyone with any type of influence or authority in the church, that you really bring this into consideration and consider that what I might be saying might be somewhat true. Um, there might be some truth to it, even if that truth is hard to accept. And if what I'm saying is true, then something needs to change. Because we shouldn't have cults in the Catholic Church. We shouldn't have places where people go and they're treated under the bite method, the bite model. <laughs> Um, because it's, it's sadistic and it's not, it's not godly whatsoever. Um, so thank you all so much for listening. Um, if you have anything to, um, to say or to contribute to this podcast, 
I love to hear it. Um, I really appreciate hearing people's feedback. It helps me to know um, what people are thinking out there, if they're agreeing, if they're not agreeing, if, if people are seeing the same things, if, um, and you know, if they have an insight that I'm not seeing, um, I'd really appreciate it. So um, thank you so much. Until next time, God bless.